This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. We're just over six months away from the 2020 midterm elections, and the primary season is going to start picking up momentum heading into next month. As these elections pick up steam, we will see the topics and issues that are going to drive voter behavior become clearer. And I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather dive into this with than the one and only Mike Madrid. Mike is a national political strategist, our resident expert in demographics and Latino politics, my fellow co-founder of The Lincoln Project, and he lectures on race, class, and partisanship at the University of Southern California. Mike, it's good to see you. It's numbers season. It is numbers season. Good to be with you. I'm excited about this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, so let's turn to some real data. Last week, NBC News released polling that looked at how a candidate's position on an issue or an endorsement would influence their decision to vote for that candidate. And the issues with the highest net difference of whether people were more or less likely to vote for them uh, based on an issue were, uh, one, support for funding the police and providing them with resources and training. That was a plus 64 Supporting uh, expanding domestic oil and natural gas production to keep gas prices lower, that's a plus 52. Supporting the bipartisan infrastructure legislation, that was a plus 50. Uh, and supporting Biden's, co- Biden's proposal to lower, to lower health care and prescription drug costs, that was a 46. Uh, the list goes on. Um, but what stood out to you in this, uh, in this survey, um, it, uh, keeping in mind our conversation about looking for movement as opposed to a snapshot in time. What stood out to you most uh, about this data? Well, what's important about those those data points you just read, those are those are issues of concern, right? Which tells us what's at top of mind in the voters, um, uh, on the, what's on the top of mind of voters today. And the reason why they're ranked in that order is because of the intensity that I mentioned. It's not that just it's an important issue. So, for example, climate change is an important issue, but it doesn't have the intensity that most issues do. And the intensity is where we start to get mobilization and we start to get people to show up to vote for our candidates. And it's where we have to kind of start driving the attack. On the top two issues you just mentioned, again, R- remind me it what, was, what they, uh, they, what supporting was the funding the police and then and then supporting expanding domestic oil and natural gas to keep prices lower gas prices lower okay both both of these issues would be defensive positions for joe biden and the democrats that's why the republicans are attacking on defunding the police 
however nefarious or however much they've got to stretch to do that. That is a horribly, horribly weak position for the Democrats to be in. Uh, it being associated with anything in, with that movement that pronounces that is in puts you in deep, deep trouble. It's why the president of the United States, literally yeah. in the State of the Union, went down there and said, I do not no. support defunding the police. Funding I the support police. funding right. the police. He knows that. Yeah. And so they're, they, they all know it. The, Dem- the Democrats have, you know, have been concerned about it. Uh, James Clyburn said it you know, at the end of the 2020 election cycle, is this is what hurt us in the House down, down ticket. I think he was right. Their own polling is showing it. The president of the United States, those numbers are so intense. He literally had to, to use his platform at the State of the Union to say, in my own words, because they will have to cut that out, cut that into ads at some point when they're attacking, uh, that that I don't support that position. The, the other is 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 people want you know more oil. They, they want to bring prices down, domestic oil production, which is not a good position for a Democrat to be in. So the two most intense issues at this moment in time are not in the Democrats' favor. That's important to understand. Now I don't believe. Um, that those issues will be the top two issues in six months from now. I could be totally wrong, um, but history would suggest that if six months is a long time, a lot of things are going to happen with this war. A lot of things are going to happen economically. A lot of things are going to happen in a lot of uh, places. The, 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 the Democrats are going to have to move the issues matrix if they're going to be successful in holding the House of Representatives. That's, that's one of the objectives they're going to have to do. The second, of course, is Biden's approval ratings. And uh, I'm not I'm not concerned when I look at the numbers of, of Republicans. Overwhelmingly, Republicans don't like the president. That's that's, that's not going to change. That's not who you're. Tr- that's normal. And it's kind of like when Trump was was president. Ninety two percent of Democrats don't like him. That's that's normal. That's that's always going to be the case. The real question is how solid he is in his own base. And the polling since the w- Afghanistan withdrawal has not been good in that regard. Now, before people start you know, flaming on Ron and politicology <laughs> and Mike Madrid, that doesn't mean I want Joe Biden to lose. We should, you it know what? We should just time a- out and remind people that we, that we fought and sweat and bled to get this guy in the Oval <laughs> Office. So let's just remind everybody of that fact. Yeah. And I support him, right? It's, uh, I, I, I don't support him any less than I did for a whole lot of the same yeah. reasons. But again, this is what I do for a living, and it's just it is it is a bit a little well, look, bit. Look, we're reading the landscape as people, practitioners, and if and that's what that's what people come here for. We're not. This is this is yeah. not cheerleading session. Okay. This is this is reality. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So uh, here's what the issue is. Here's the diagnosis. We'll get into kind of some of the prescriptions in just a moment. But Joe Biden has some some fundamental problems that I think are going to be very challenging for him personally to overcome because of who he is. As we have said before, uh, Joe Biden was elected president not because he was Joe Biden. He was elected because he is not Donald Trump. And the anti-Trump sentiment of who he is was this aspiration to bring a calmness, a surety, a coherence, a competence to the White House that was missing custody. There you go. So that the, the goal then is to kind of uh, you know demonstrate that. And the Afghanistan withdrawal, I'm not getting into policy. I don't care. I don't really understand much of, of a lot of, 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 of the policymaking process. But what I will say is the perception of the public, the American public, was that the Afghanistan withdrawal was not handled well. It was sloppy. It was not competent. It was not done well. 
And his numbers, Joe Biden's numbers, job approval numbers dropped precipitously, and they have not recovered. Okay, they have not. Now, most of the top issues that are driving the electorate tends to be focused on the economy. People are very concerned about groceries and gas, and whether you can control it as president or not means nothing to the American voter. In a democracy, this is usually the case. If the country is not headed in the right direction, 71% of respondents in this poll said the country's headed in the wrong direction. Those are very, very troubling numbers, okay? You can blame the media. You can blame the pollster. You can blame Mike Madrid. You can blame whoever you want. The, the reality is you've got to fix the problem. They've got to fix the problem, okay? They've got to fix the problem, and it's not the problem that they want. It's the problem that it is, and it doesn't matter whether it's real or whether it be unfairly blamed. It doesn't matter. You, you're facing an election. You've got to stand before the voters. What matters is what they believe, not what you believe. So you've got to figure out and discern what that is. Those are troubling numbers. It's a very strong headwind to be he uh, heading into. I believed, and I said this you know, kind of on Twitter when I was talking when people were asking about the problems, there were there were really four or five objectives I think that Joe Biden need to needed to accomplish in his speech in Poland, and I think four or five of those he did a masterful job on. I do believe, and again I got you know raked over the coals for this. He made a very very big mistake with that last ad libbed line. Incidentally, as I have shared, I I support what the president was said. I believe that we should be more involved in Ukraine, like literally more involved, not just giving them. We're cash. talking about the regime change line. The regime change line was of, of deep concern for me as somebody who studied diplomacy at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown. I knew immediately when he said it what that meant. It was a mistake. It was not in the in the prepared text. I I support him in what he said, but that is a policy change, and it is not a policy change that we are pursuing. By the way, so and the reason why that is important is because he's leaving two different impressions of what you, American authority and power mean. When you say this is a moral outrage, when you said he should not be in office, when you say today he said that he should be tried on war crimes. The next question is, why the hell aren't we engaged right. in, in exacting that policy right. when our policy is, is the opposite of that? It's a defensive posture, which is we're going to protect NATO. You can't have both. And I'm sure people are listening to this saying, yes, you absolutely can. What I'm telling you is the American public is hearing yeah, right. what I'm hearing, what the yeah. polls are saying, which is we don't exactly know what the policy is here. We're hearing all these bad things. The president is saying, oh, this guy's horrible. He needs to be removed. It's a moral outrage. We're seeing war crimes, but we're not going to do anything more than what we were doing. And that's, that is creating this tension in the mind of the voter that is, is trying to, to figure out what our policy is. And that is not good ground for Joe Biden to be on or any leader. We've talked before on the show about how we shouldn't be making foreign policy by public opinion because of this perception gap. But the reality is this perception is going to shape uh, voter attitudes going into an extremely consequential election. So there's kind of no way around avoiding the consequences of the, of the lack of clarity or lack of consistency, at least in the voters' minds. Mike, one of the striking pieces of this poll is that every endorsement they tested, because, okay, we just talked about issues, mm -hmm. and I want to talk about the endorsements and the effect the endorsement had yes. uh, on, on voter attitudes. So um, every endorsement they tested had a net negative impact on a candidate. Not a single endorsement had a positive impact, which is 
I think, underscoring of your point about this era of negative partisanship, right? right. Yes. Because it, it used to be once upon a time, you courted the endorsements of people that you like. We almost never see that now. No. It's uh, not it, even, it, it's not a thing. Right? When I was a kid, that was all we did. That, right. The, yeah. The third, right. The Try third to party, as as possible. The yeah. third party messenger was absolutely critical to success. It's who is saying what is more important than what is being said is people would look for these cues of what other people are behind this person. And that's going to tell me where I need to be. It's the exact opposite now. Right. So to uh, give our listeners an example from this poll, Bernie Sanders endorsement is a net negative six. Joe Biden's endorsement is a net negative 12. Trump's endorsement is a net negative 14. Uh, worse than that, AOC is a net negative 17. Worse than AOC, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a net negative 27. And topping the list or bottoming the list, Mitch McConnell is a net negative 38 if he endorses someone. So how are you thinking about this national net negative uh, that this shows from any of these endorsements? Well, the first is this is the way that the opposition is going to try to frame you, right? This is they're going to try and find every everybody running for Congress. They're going to they're going to try and dust off every picture of Joe Biden with this congressional candidate. The Republicans are and start running these ads, right? It worked effectively when Obama was president. The Democrats did it when Trump was president. Um, the party in power really suffers this first election cycle, usually because they're trying to tie the unpopularity. Of the, of the party down to ticket to the president at the top when his numbers are not good and his numbers are not good. So as races have become more nationalized, these figures have arisen on both sides that really determine what the candidate is and who they are associated with. Uh, back in the day, it would be like, oh, well, you know, we would always say, well, you know, I'm, I don't like Congress, but I like my congressmen. I like my member of Congress. He's been here for 25 years. He helped my son, you know, get some VA benefits. He may be a Republican, but I, you know, I'm, I like Tom. He's a good guy, right? Yeah. He's always done, brought home, you know, money for that freeway off ramp we needed kind of thing. That's, that's changed. Those days are, are gone. And again, it's the association, which is particularly problematic. So very rarely do we associate our candidates with, with anybody. Uh, I, I think what I, I jokingly put out on Twitter, there, there is one person, there is one person who could win every one of the competitive house races if he were to run. Um, but his name is uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. He's the, <laughs> he's the president of Ukraine. He's, the, he's also the leader of the free world right <laughs> he's now. He's the leader of the free world right now. Uh, his numbers are off the charts. But again, that, like I said, that's how rare these things are. There's going to be a lot of, of kind of guilt by association that goes on and where we used to, again, 30 years ago, use the endorsement as a leverage up and it was a race for endorsements. The endorsements really don't matter. In fact, they kind of make you a creature of the well, establishment or, yeah. or, or, or the group that people don't want to be involved with. And so we're starting to say things like an independent voice now. This person is an independent voice. Or, you know, um, is looking out for, you know, cares more about this region than cares about the party type of a thing. However exactly. true or untrue some of those, yeah. those proclamations are, showing a distinctiveness from other characters is really important. They've gone from being assets to liabilities mm -hmm. or, or, or worse, weapons. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I think it's worth noting that the, that the negative impact for Biden and Trump is close to negative 12 and negative 14, uh, yeah. relatively comparable. Okay, that this is a really important point. And again, I think uh, for a lot of people kind of shocked by this, 
the, the partisan makeup of the country, people are so deeply entrenched in their own media bubbles and in their own partisan silos. I think it's a really good point, Ron, that you brought out. Uh, uh, the, the difference and the negative between Trump and Biden are basically de minimis. They're basically as negative as the other. And so it's important to understand that, again, if you're trying to look at this objectively and try to understand what is truly going on, setting aside your own partisan biases and saying, hey, how do I come to a different understanding? There was another finding, too, in the generic ballot. The Republicans are only plus two. Uh, what that means is only 2% more of respondents said they would want Republicans in control of Congress than Democrats, mm. even though Biden's numbers are very soft. That's very good for the Democrats. Yeah. And really what this poll shows is there's people just don't like any politicians right now. Yeah. All of their negatives are high, but when the hot lead starts flying in a campaign, everyone comes back to their partisan silos. So the 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 chance of of Biden reconstituting his democratic base in the stretch is very good. It's very high. It's very likely. The concern that I have is when your numbers are that weak with your own base, you may not have the motivation that you need as a Democrat in an off-term cycle to get the turnout you're going get to need. Get the turnout, right. Yeah. And that's the problem that, that they're facing right now. It's not that there's been this collapse or reshift or reorientation in the electorate, quite the opposite. It's the exact same as, as it has been since at least the mid-1990s. There's, there's really, this election cycle is not shaping up fundamentally any different and that is not good for Democrats because they're the party in power. Right. And, and also, we need to note that the Democrats rely on turnout. To, they, they rely on turnout. They maybe over-rely on turnout. And one of the key uh, demographics for Democratic turnout are young voters. And they tend not to turn out in midterm elections. That's just... And they, they barely turn out in presidentials when they do. Right. But in midterm elections, they really don't. So Democrats need young voters to turn out in a midterm election if they're going to hold on to Congress. Yeah, and one of the one of the overlaps of the young demographic is the Hispanic vote, which the Democrats have relied on overwhelmingly because they it's been a non-white voter and that has historically done performed very well for the Democrats, but as when you know that we've talked about this at length on the, on the show, there's a shift away from uh, the Hispanic electorate is moving towards a more Republican uh, vote. And that, that creates a conundrum for the turnout model for Democrats is where, where do you go? Where do you message? How do we get turnout of our younger voters when so many of them are Hispanic and a lot of them are trending away? It creates a big opening for Republicans if they're smart about it. It's a difficulty for Democrats. I know that they've been trying to address this problem and there's some internal challenges with, with, with that message shift, but it will be determinative. Okay, so back to these endorsements. Um, among these figures, uh, Sanders, Biden, and AOC, uh, their endorsement would cause a Democratic primary voter to be more likely to vote for that candidate. And a Trump endorsement has a net positive impact for a candidate among Republican primary voters, plus 62 for that. Uh, but a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Mitch McConnell endorsement would result in a net negative impact among Republican primary voters. So what does this tell us about the amount of influence that Trump has and what it might mean for someone like Liz Cheney, who's in a you know Republican primary fight um, as Trump's public enemy number one? It's a great question. If you look back at uh, Donald Trump as this kind of American political figure since 2016, 
And there, look, there have only been two presidential races and, and two midterms were coming up on a third midterm since that era. There are a couple of things that really demonstrate that Donald Trump is a, is a completely anomalous character in the American political theater at this moment in time. What, what, what does Mike Madrid mean by that? What I mean is he has done some things that nobody else has been able to recapture. It's not like he's starting a new movement that people can follow behind and be like, oh, I can emulate Donald Trump and be successful. In fact, the more people try to emulate Donald Trump, the less effective it actually is. He is a unique character. And so in 2016, Democrats tried to blame Donald Trump uh, or, or tried to tie Donald Trump to down-ticket races. It didn't work very well because the whole appeal of Donald Trump was – he was not like any other politicians. Does that make sense? And so what we saw was um, Democrats not doing nearly as well in states where Hillary Clinton won at the top of the ticket and Donald Trump won down below. Now, when he wasn't on the ticket in 2018 and there was a, a strong push against him, and, and 2018, well, I think, will look somewhat like 2020. Two now because he had one party in control of, of both the Congress and the presidency. Donald Trump did not do well, but his name was not on the ballot. And that's told us, and, and so what happened was there was a depressed turnout amongst Republican constituencies. The most important constituency was rural, white, non-college educated voters. In 2020, they came back. And what that showed us, and in Georgia, the Georgia elections afterwards, they did not show up. And what that tells us is if Donald Trump is not on the ballot, like if his name is not specifically on the ballot, they don't show up at the same numbers. And that creates a turnout problem for the Republicans, especially when they brand themselves with Donald Trump or try to make themselves the party of Trump. They they literally aren't a Republican party. They are literally Donald Trump's party. And if he's not on the ballot, literally, they're not getting the same bump from their own people that they normally have. And that's, it's a conundrum. It's a, it's a problem. I think Donald Trump's going to be very mixed on, on, this, on this primary season. I think he'll have some victories, but I think he's going to have some very significant setbacks and losses. And I think that that starts to break the veil of this. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, when Tiger Woods, as long as he was winning, he was, he was impossible to beat. But once somebody broke that veil and finally beat him, it all came crashing down, right? That persona of being inevitable and of being unbeatable um, ruins the whole, the whole imagery of who you are. The whole identity comes crashing down. I think Donald Trump is teetering on that right now. Yeah, and that turnout issue you just noted for Republicans underscores the importance of, you know, previously in this conversation, we talked about how important it is for pollsters to calibrate their turnout model, right, in order to yes. actually get the numbers right. And if you're yeah. not doing that accurately, the, that poll's basically garbage. Yeah. This is, this is why that's so important. Yeah, and that's what that's what threw a, a wrench into some of the, you know, the, the electoral college turnout models. That it was why Hillary Clinton then was oh the polls were wrong in 2016 the polls were not wrong in 2016 but what they were, where they were wrong was in key states that were that they were under they were showing an underperformance of a constituency that had never shown up in that degree to that degree before and the truth is the same thing happened in 2020 it happened even in our internal polling in the Lincoln Project it happened in all the public polling is we were not expecting. The, the close, uh, I, thought, I thought we would win. I thought Biden would win Arizona by a point, point and a half. Ends up winning by, you know, 
you know, a couple thousand votes. Georgia's the same thing, right? I thought, okay, we can pull this out by point, point and a half, end up coming down to like 20,000 or 12,000 votes, whatever it was. Wisconsin, tighter than we thought, right? North Carolina, it didn't go the way that we had thought. So th- nobody's polling was showing these numbers, um, except, you know, I, I don't know if, if Trump's were, but if, if they were, then they were spending their money wrong. So the, they may say that, oh, you know, we knew, but if they did, then, then the rest of their strategy was screwed up, so. Well, the rest of their strategy was to claim fraud and try to right. turn it over. So, <laughs> right. Right. And we and that's what we spent like the summer and and early fall talking about and writing right. people about. Right. Which just by the way, like to flash back to that time, man, I couldn't believe the conversations we were having yeah. on those state of the vote episodes. Just preparing preparing oh, people for what we I mean, we were right. Yeah, we were it's saying like, this, this is, is coming. so surreal. This is yeah. what's about to happen. I barely yeah. believe the words coming out of my own mouth, but that's but it was obvious. It was that's that's exactly what well, the strategy I think was. As practitioners, it was obvious to us because we could yeah. see what they were doing. I think a lot of people thought that we were just very alarmist and just you right. know, kind of like trying to, you know, get people wound up unnecessarily. But no, I mean, look, we were planning for violence. We said there's going to yeah. be violence. It's coming. There's going to be violence, and they're going to they're going to claim fraud. And here's the states are going to do it. In, and here's essentially what they're what they're going to do. Um, if they had been a little bit more competent, it would have probably gotten a lot long further. But yeah, it's, it's scary times. Yeah, we should make a quick note that those the the point differences in votes in Arizona and Georgia we're talking about. We thought like they were tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, like the margins were you know a fraction of a point. Yeah. Um, so, so when we say we thought we're going to, you know, by a, by a point and a half, two points in Arizona, no, 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 this was a fraction that he actually, right, that, that was actually decisive. It, we're talking about hundreds of votes in a couple of key, key counties. Yeah, very, very small numbers. Okay, so there's an Arizona public opinion pulse poll uh, that came out last week that showed more than half of Arizonans disapprove of Biden's job performance. Uh, 78% of Republicans disapproved, 59% of independents disapproved. Uh, according to this poll, Biden is 15 points underwater in Arizona. And that, speaking of looking for movement, is a 25-point swing since May of 2021, about a year yeah. ago. Yeah. So how do you expect the dissatisfaction with Biden's job performance to shape how voters decide to vote for the Senate and governor's races in Arizona? And, and we probably ought to talk about the Secretary of State races. Well, I think the Secretary of State races are actually as important as who controls Congress because these yeah. are the people that will be seated. The people that we elect this year in Secretary of State's offices in states like Georgia and Arizona and Nevada will actually be counting votes and certifying the elections. And you have candidates that are running. Counting, that are open. not counting, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. And certifying, not certifying. Certifying, Basically, not certifying. Yeah, they're actually. Whatever they feel like. Yeah. Say. There are Trump-backed candidates right now saying that you know the election was stolen, and they're running on a platform of saying we should have decertified the elections and, and, and thrown this back to the legislature, which was the Trump playbook. And they're, they're, they stand a very good chance of winning in these three critical states. So, look, I, I think that this, we, this weakness, and, and the, one of the reasons it caused me concerns is the movement I'm seeing in this poll is with independents. Which are a volatile group in 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 um, in Arizona. They they do determine the outcome of races and a negative fifteen position, uh, which was a group that went plus ten for him, is a huge dramatic swing. It's a it's a problem. Okay, it's not like let's gloss over this. It's like there's a problem. The patient's on the table. We got to be serious about this if we're going to try and fix this problem. And it uh, gets back to those same issues and those same concerns. Which is the you know groceries and gas uh, problems with inflation, 
and we're going to see after how the, 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 this war turns out. But I have said, you know, the, 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 the three counties that concern me the most in this country are Gwinnett and DeKalb County in Georgia surrounding Atlanta because of the swinginess of those votes and Maricopa County in Maricopa. Arizona. Maricopa mm-hmm. is where we spent a ton of money in the Lincoln Project. We saw those trends early. We invested very early. We kept levels consistent all the way through the election, came in strong, and we believed that if you know if, if it was going to be a close race, that we would pull Arizona out and be okay. That's ultimately what happened. Um, Mar- uh, Maricopa County and Arizona are giving me pause for concern right now. Arizona should be in a much better position for Democrats than it currently is. Mike, before I let you go, what else? What else are you watching in survey research? I don't think it makes much sense to uh, to, to to look at twenty twenty four hypotheticals at this point. It's really just horse no. race speculation. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's useful. And by the way, for our listeners, when you see those matchups, those head to heads for you know so and so versus so and so in twenty twenty four, you can throw them right in the garbage because it doesn't it doesn't it matter right nothing. now. It it makes yeah. no sense. It might be okay. Maybe it's fun for you to speculate around the water cooler, but it it's useless really at this point. So uh, is there anything else that is useful for our listeners to be paying attention to, um, you know, right now, survey research wise? I'm going to say that, you know, I, and I'm not a big fan of the generic ballot. Uh, and no. what the generic ballot means is when a pollster asks the question, who do you think should be in control of Congress, Republicans or the Democrats? And the reason why is because uh, well, there's only going to be about 15, maybe 20 competitive seats. And as I meant in the entire country, yeah. um, there will only be 15 to 20 competitive seats. I guarantee you out of a thousand people surveyed, maybe, you know, a dozen of those people are going to be tested in each one of those congressional districts. So they're not giving you the, the, um, the opinion that you need to make any sort of, of assumptions or predictions based off of, uh, off of a, of a thousand sample poll for the entire country. Now, uh, having said that, I'm, I do want to say this. Look, I, I'm going to do what I did last election cycle. I'm going to be putting out a lot of data. I'm going to be talking about a lot of data. My sense is people are going to be more angry with me this time <laughs> because uh, they're probably not going to be hearing what they want to hear. Uh, they might, and if they are, I'm going to give you my perceptions of it. I'm going to try to explain it like this and, and give you a, uh, a a practitioner's understanding of what, what it is that we're looking for, what matters to me, and what decisions need to be made. Um, you can get mad if you want. This is just what this is what we do. This is this yeah. is our profession. It's our craft. It's our trade. We're very proud of it, and um, that information is actionable. People can make decisions based off of that to kind of correct their positions. Um, that's not my job. The cycle. My yeah. job is to just kind of you know say say here's what's happening. I mean, this is what all this means. I think it's important to tell people this is if you if you want. Uh, if you want cheerleading, go somewhere else, listen to a different podcast. But this is, you're talking to practitioners who've burned their bridges, fighting for democracy, essentially. And this is the way we read the landscape so that people who are fighting for the same things can be as effective as possible. So, uh, and, and by the way, it's working. Um, you know, I mean, you and I know both the, the people who need to be listening to this information are listening. Yeah. So, yeah. um, we're going to yeah. say it. We're not afraid to say it. They're not afraid to say it. Mr. Madrid, before I let you go, where can everybody find you and the squirrels on the internet? Find the numbers at Madrid underscore Mike on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) More data and polling than you probably should be consuming. You can get it on Twitter from me. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Take care. 
Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. Podcasts tend to grow based on word of mouth. So if you want to help more people discover politicology, you can share this episode or one of your favorites with your friend group, your family, or your colleagues. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at politicology.com. And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we'd love to hear from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.